Thank you very much. My subject this morning is about making the right investment in life. Making the right investment. In other words, how to get your life back. How to get your life back. Let me just say something there. Do you feel any part of your life is slipping away from you or out of control? Because if you do, this morning should be a real help to you to get that back again in the right way, in the right place. Let's read the parable of the talents together, coming up on the screens. For it's just like a man who, uh, about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who'd received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. Say that with me, please, an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please pray with me right now. Place your hand on your heart and say, Father, speak to my heart by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Jesus is talking to us here about finance and money. But that's not an end in itself. Although actually these principles I'm about to share with you do work in our finances as well. But it's a picture of the whole of our lives. And Just like money, there are some things in life that are worthwhile investments. And those things bring us a great return and they bring great profit. And there are also some things in life that are just outright losers and we end up in total loss. And there is a struggle and an inner battle and conflict that every single one of us faces. And we face this battle on a daily and hourly basis, even a moment-by-moment basis sometimes. Uh, all the time. And, it's this. and the struggle is this. The things that we want now, the things that appeal to us most at this moment in time, the things that would seem to be the most joy-bringing, pleasure-bringing, fun-bringing, those things often don't bring us the best return. Very often... Those things that we think will end up okay end up to be a complete loss rather than investment in life. Let me see if I can illustrate this principle for you. I have a little film clip to show you in a moment. We interrupt you. Okay. And um, this is what we show on our money management course. But uh, it's a good little principle here about life as well as about money. So let's have a look at this for three minutes. We interrupt your internet usage with this very important message from the Investor Education Fund. Hey guys, Funny Money Man here. 
You know, people are always emailing me asking how can they make money. Well, I'm going to give you one of the most powerful tips about money right here, right now. It's easy. Buy more stuff that makes money and buy less stuff that loses value. Let me show you what I mean. New sports car, money loser. Brand new designer sunglasses, money loser. White three-piece silk playoff suit, big money loser. When I was dressed like that, I looked like I had a lot of money. But in reality, all these things depreciate in value. This brand new car lost 15 to 20% of its value the second I drove it off the lot. If I tried to sell it, I would not get what I paid for it because now it's used. Make a list of all the things that you own. Shoes, DVDs, an iPod, clothes, a computer, a gaming system, maybe even a big screen TV. What do all these things have in common? I'll give you time to think about it. Time's up! That's right. They're all money losers that decrease in value over time. An investment, on the other hand, is something that increases in value over time. A mutual fund, money maker. A savings bond, money maker. A high interest savings account, money maker. How many of these things do you have? Probably not many. Your long-term financial plan should include putting at least some of your money into things that increase in value. How easy is that? Now, I know what you're saying. Do I really have to worry about this right now? Well, yes! Because the younger you are when you start, the more time your investments have to increase in value. If you want to make money, you have to think long-term. Cool short-term things like cars and electronics they look good at first, but they don't hold their value. So start building your long-term wealth by investing in long-term money makers. You see, I don't want you to wind up like my friend Jeff. I remember back when we were teenagers. Hey man, I'm 18 years old. I'm living for today. Investing's for old people in their 40s. Hey, man, were you dissing my van, bro? This was the coolest thing on the road back in 1981. Ew. Yes, Jeff, but now you live in it. Okay, well, there you go. There's the story of Jeff at the end there. Now, you can see the principle there. There are some things we can invest in that grow in value and worth and get better over time. And there are some things that look good at the time, but when we buy into those things, they end up becoming a loss and a loser and draining us and not being worth anything much, if anything at all, further down the line. And that's true for finance, and it's true for life as well. Now, something else in finance is this. There is a... a Something in accountancy called a profit and loss account. Let me show you one here on the screen. If you're in business or you run your own finances, you will have to make out something like this. And what you do on this piece of paper is very simple. On the top half, you write down all the way money is coming into you. What is to your profit? What's to your gain? And on the bottom, you write down all the ways that money is going out from you. What's to your loss? Now, hopefully, the very bottom figure there we call the bottom line, which is where that phrase comes from, is going to be in credit. When you look at everything you have to pay out and everything you gain in, hopefully, you're still going to be in a good place. There's going to be something left over. Your, your finances are not going to be drained and you're not going to be in minus or red numbers there. That's how profit and loss accounts works for finances. It's a simple discipline, but it's a very necessary one. And that's how it is for money. But it's also the same for life. Let me give you an example of somebody whose life hasn't turned out quite as well as he'd hoped. 
want to put up a picture on the screen here. This is an, I was doing some reading recently, and I came across this guy's life story. His name is Mickey Mantle, and he was a legend in baseball in his time. And he gave an incredible press interview uh, a little while ago, and I want to read to you what one reporter, who's not a Christian, uh, wrote about this press review. This is what he said. He walked into Beasley Auditorium at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, slowly, gingerly. As a huge crowd of reporters look on quietly and sadly, Mickey Mantle carefully lowered himself into a chair behind a lectern. Then the weak and frail Mantle, the man who embodied baseball for nearly two decades, the man with the magical baseball name who hit tape measure home runs and guided the New York Yankees to 12 World Series in a 14-year span, opened up, broke down, and emptied his locked vault of emotions without warning and without hesitation. It's July the 12th, 1995. Baseball's all-star game is slated to be played in the evening uh, in the evening in Arlington, Texas, just a few miles away from the Texas Rangers' home, Mantle is recuperating from a liver transplant, performed a few weeks earlier on June the 8th at Baylor University Medical Center. He was within a day or two of dying, if not for the transplant. Now here he is, in his first public appearance since the life-saving surgery, and he is highly emotional, knowing how close he was to losing his life. He talks about how he's so thankful to be alive, so thankful he has a little more time to spend with his family, whom he neglected for so long, for so many years, while he was drinking himself away during his Hall of Fame career with the New York Yankees. When he entered the medical center, he had a massively swollen abdomen, accompanied by excruciating pain. Doctors told him he was dying of three potentially fatal ailments, liver cancer, cirrhosis, and hepatitis. He had, they said, just weeks to live, if that. The 63-year-old Mantle, one of the most electrifying players ever to grace the major league landscape, begins to tell the assembled press corps how lucky he's been all his life, how blessed he is to have been given such incredible talent, how the baseball world embraced him so lovingly. Mantle's hands and arms are eerily, eerily thin. His fingers are so bony that a ring dangles loosely. His wristwatch rests midway up his right arm, not around his thin wrist. Behind Mantle are several enlarged photos of him swinging a bat in his Yankees uniform, the one in which he hit the 536 career home runs and a record 18 World Series home runs. The pictures are signed by well-wishers and fans from the All-Star Games Fan, fan Fest, held in conjunction with the Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. I owe, so much, I owe so much to my family, to God and to the American people for accepting me as they have, for being such great fans, he says, choking up. Skeletal and pale as a result of losing 40 pounds of weight, Mantle goes on to talk about the life of regrets, a life of internal hell, a life he had squandered away because of alcohol. He goes on to tell the writers, his admirers in the world that he was no role model, just a guy who was given a gift, a guy who was blessed and tortured at the same time. God gave me the ability to pay, play baseball, he would say. God gave me everything. But for the kids out there, don't be like me. There is regret and sadness in his voice as he speaks apologetically. All you've got to do is look at me and see it's wasted, he says of his life, with tears welling up in his eyes as he alludes to his 40-year bout with alcohol abuse that led to his liver problem. I want to get across to the kids not to drink or do drugs. Mums and dads should be the role models, not ball players. Sitting next to his son Danny, Mantle becomes more emotional, saying, I wasn't even like a father. I don't ever remember playing catch with the boys in the backyard. I was a drinking buddy. Now at last I feel more like a dad. Mantle pauses and bows his head under, and he mutters under his breath, looking straight ahead to the audience and says, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to make up. He pauses again. His, sparkle, his eyes sparkle from tears, his lips tremble. I just want to start giving back, he would say. All I've done is take. He had only four more weeks to live after that. He passed away on August the 13th after being discharged from Baylor University Medical Center on June the 28th. He developed anemia as a result of chemotherapy treatments and cancer spread throughout his body. Mickey Mantle, 
a great gift and a wasted life. That's like the guy who buried his talent in the ground. A great gift, but a wasted life. And the challenge that faced Mickey Mantle and the challenge that faced the guy with one talent is the same challenge that faces every single human being on this planet, including every one of us here today. Any of us could end up like Mickey Mantle. Every person in this room has the potential in them to end up like that. We can all, we could all chase things in life that seem to be what we really want now. But later we end up looking back and instead of seeing real success and real fulfillment, all we see is wasted time, wasted effort, wasted years, even a wasted life. There's this story I came across of a famous general. He's going around the soldiers inspecting them before a major battle. And he wants to see if the soldiers are really supportive and really with him as a general. He stops one of them. He's just one of the ordinary privates in the line. He stops by and says, you, soldier, what's your name? He tells him his name. He says, what's the most important thing you have? And the soldier says, "Uh, my rifle. He says, wrong answer, your life. And if you listen to me, I'll help you keep it. Now, that's great advice, isn't it? And you would think any soldier going into battle, you think that general is not going to waste my life. He's going to plan this battle so that we do maximum damage on the energy with minimum inconvenience to us. That's the kind of guy I want to follow into battle. And I'll give my best. And I'm going to listen to what he says because two things I want from this battle. A, I want to win. And B, I want to come out alive. Would that be a fair... I mean, would anybody want that? They would, I think. And we would listen to what that general said if we were in his army. Curiously enough, though, when it comes to life, people don't tend to take the same approach. They're not bothered about whether they lose their lives or not, it seems. And rather than listen to the general that wants to keep life for us, they're quite happy to risk it all and lose it as well as lose the battle. So I want to look at, for a short while more, just two great Bible truths that come out of this story and come out of Scripture. Two great Bible truths about our lives. And the first great Bible truth is this. Your life is precious. Did you know that? Your life is precious. Your life is a precious gift from God. It's precious to God, and I take it it's precious to you as well. Now, do you know how I know it's precious? Because it says in this story, the master entrusted his possessions to them. Do you notice he didn't go into their rooms and say, he didn't go into their rooms and say, well, what can I find in here that my servants got? Oh, his World Cup signed football with whoever's going to win tonight, and his collection of player, medallions, and so on. These are precious things to him. I'll give them to him and say, here you are, now go and do something wise with those. He didn't plunder their rooms. He went to his own room. And he said, that gold pocket watch that my father gave me before he died, it's encrusted in jewels and it's got a loving inscription on the back. I'm going to trust this to one of my servants. That gift of money that my mother gave me before she passed away. She said, use this for your wedding day. Well, I didn't need it on the wedding day. I've kept it. I'm going to give that to one of my servants. He went to his room and took the things that were precious and valuable to him and gave them into the care of his servants. And that's what God does for us. The life you have is filled with precious things that come from God. God has put in you, not your treasure, his treasure. God has put in you something wonderful from him. You you carry something amazing and precious from God. And he's given it to you. Can you believe that? Can you see that? It's not your own treasure. It's not your own valuable possessions. You are carrying around something amazing that belongs to someone else. 
Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I am valuable. You are. You are incredibly, incredibly valuable. Now, having given that precious thing to us, what God does then is step back and say, I'm not going to tell you how to use it other than what's in my word. I'm going to give you guidance through the scripture. I'm going to give you guidance through the community of believers, the church. I'm going to give you guidance through the Holy Spirit. Now, will you take my guidance so that you keep your life and you win? Or are you just going to handle it the way you want to and run the risk of losing everything? Are you going to be like Mr. Money Man and invest your life into something that will grow and be of more value and worth as each day goes by? Or are you going to invest in uh, uh, losers? God is not going to force us or make us choose between those things. And so many times people come to me as a pastor and say, why doesn't God do this and why doesn't God do that? And what they mean is, why, God, why doesn't God force us to make the choice we should make? And if he did, then in the next breath they say, why does God force us to do all these things? I mean, you can't win with that kind of argument with some people. God is not going to force us. But are you going to be an investor or a loser? That's the Two outcomes of this precious investment he's given us, or this precious gift he's given us, into our lives. Now, the master in this story says, do you know what? You don't have to be a super-duper merchant banker. Even a small investment would make all the difference in your life. But if you won't make that investment, what can you make? See, it says... Of the one guy, that he dug a hole in the ground. While I was preparing this word, I felt God say these words to me Wake up, wake up to the truth. And I feel it's a word for many people here this morning. Wake up. Wake up to the truth. Wake up! Wake up to the truth. You are precious. You are valuable. You are worth everything to God. How much are you worth to you? And how much is that gift of God in you worth to you? Are you going to invest it? Or are you just going to lose it? Because if we dig a hole in the ground and bury it, it's, it's the equivalent of saying this. It's saying, well, I'm not going to do anything bad with this. I'm just not going to do anything extra with it. I'm just going to hold on to it and hope it'll be all right at the end. I'm just going to keep my head down and hope nobody notices. I'm just going to be a regular person and an ordinary person. Listen, if you want to be an ordinary person, that's what ordinary people do. And most people spend most of their lives trying not to get noticed and just be ordinary. Well, ordinary will not do as far as God is concerned when it comes to the gift he's put inside of you. God wants something extra in your life so that you are extraordinary. Okay? And the extra he wants is what we're going to look at in a moment in our next point. But before we get there, You know that in the recent years, since 2008, we have seen the most intelligent, gifted bankers and money men lose billions of your money. Not theirs. They're still getting the bonuses. Sorry if you work in banking. Some of them aren't getting them. They've lost your money because the taxpayer, which is you and me, has had to step in and rescue them. You would think that if we don't know how to spot a loser, the experts would know, wouldn't you? You'd think if you put your money in this bank or that bank, 
They would know what they're doing. I mean, they are the professionals. They drive around Porsches and they have power lunches and braces and whatever they use now to show their signs of real opulence and, and, you know, they're at the top of their game. But they are losers too. They have lost billions by handling things in an ungodly, unbiblical way. And I want to point that out to you today to say this. There are plenty of experts out there who will also tell you how to run your life away from the Bible. And they're losers too. They may appear to have all the trappings of power and success. But if you run your life like that, I promise you, eh, eh, loser. There's only one way to do this, Jesus said. And it's not to bury the talent. You've got to earn some interest with it. You've got to invest it in God in some way that will not crash, but will return to you with interest and with growth on the precious, wonderful life that God has given to you. Here's a strange thing about banking. And here's what some people do with their lives. It's possible, just about, to get a bit of interest in a bank account. And what you can do is, the first X thousand, you get a reduced level. And then if you put more in, they give you a bit higher interest. So wouldn't it be strange if somebody had, let's say, £10,000 to invest, and the first £1,000 you get half a percent, the second £1,000 you get 1%, and so on. So suppose that person said, well, how will I get the most investment back on this money? You take all that money and you put it into one bank. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? Supposing he said, well, I'll put £1,000 in this bank and £1,000 in that bank, and he put the £10,000 in 10 separate banks. That is going to get you the lowest return on your finance of all. And that's just how the Christian life works. Because if you say, well, I'll give Jesus a thousand pounds, I'll give him 10% of my life. But I'll, I'll invest in this thing over here, and I'll invest in that thing over here, and I'll invest in that, and I'll invest in this, and I'll invest in this, and I'll invest in something else, and I'll, I'll give Jesus a bit, but the rest I'm going to farm out around here and have all these different investments, and I hope that gives me some good return and makes me happy and f- successful and fulfilled. Uh-uh, that's a loser. The secret is not to do that. The secret is to put everything in one place in Jesus. And that's when you get the maximum benefit and return, which is my second point. Our lives are for investing in God. Our lives are for investing in God. God gives us this incredible gift, and what he's looking for is to see if we'll bring it back to him. Now, this is how it used to work in our house on Christmas Day. After the first several rounds of being woken up early, we'd eventually get to the main gifts or toys. And so somebody would tear the wrapping open and they would find this toy inside. Now, normally, I don't know if you get this, your parent, you probably get it if you're a grandparent, actually, Bob, don't you? They bring you the thing and it's in a cardboard box. It's got those twisty wire things at the back, millions of, you know, several of the things, and it takes ages to get them undone. I mean, no child is ever going to get that out of that box on their own. And then there's the batteries, of course. And these days, for European regulations, there's a screw on the back. You can't just slide the cover off. You've got to go look for a screwdriver. And then there's no batteries in the box, of course. So you hope you've bought batteries before Christmas Day, because if you haven't, you're in real trouble. The thing doesn't work. So you give the child this gift. It needs 30 minutes of ministry from grandpa or dad or older brother or somebody to get the thing working. And that's just how our lives are. God gives us this precious gift. But if you, if you want to have it empowered and the wrapping taken off and the thing gets going, and then, of course, they start to play with it, and what do I do now? Now, it used to be in the old days that the, ch- the child would give the gift to the parent to show them how it worked. Since computers have come along, of course, it's now the other way around. If I don't know how to work it, you look for a teenager, don't you? That's the basic thing today, clocks and watches. Anything you set with, a, with a, an LCD screen on, you give to a teenager because they know what to do with these things. But that's how it's meant to be with God. It's meant to be that God gives us this incredible gift and we say, hey, it's a wonderful gift. What do I do with it? Can you help me? I put it back in your hands. Now, it takes a lot of trust for the child who's given that gift to hand it straight back again. But that's what we're supposed to do. Because what what the human race does, since we've all fallen in Adam, I'm not giving you this. I might not like what you do with it. I might like what I do with it much better. We never get the batteries in it. We never get it out the box. We never really discover what it's for. 
We never really, really find what it is we're looking for. I have seen people in life looking for years and years and years and refusing to go to God and still never finding what they're looking for. And they occasionally come past and talk to me and their problem was the same as last year and we go over it all again. Well, pastor, it's like this, it's like this. But they they never give God the, the present back. They never reinvest their life back into God. Look at what the scripture says. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3. Whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Say that with me. I have lost all things. I have lost all things. Are you prepared to lose all things in order to gain everything? Now think about that. Are you prepared to... Lose all things to gain everything. Well, some people say they are, and then they're not. There's this woman, she is in the queue at the, now I don't, in the news agent. Don't do this, by the way, because it's sinful. But anyway, sort of. She's in the queue at the news agent, and she is down to her last amount of money. That's all the money she has in her purse. And every week she buys a ticket for the lottery. This took place in Ireland, and she does the same numbers every week. Well, this week she's in the queue and she sees what they... Aren't they meaning the shops? They always put the chocolate bars near the till when you're tired from shopping and you think, I've just got to have me a sugar fix here. And then you buy the chocolate. So she didn't buy the lottery ticket. She bought the chocolate bar. And her numbers came up that week. It was over a million euros. Isn't that what people do in life? When we're down to our last, we think, well, it's, it's not much. I, I'm not going to do much with that. I'll just buy myself the bar of chocolate. I have a little bit of pleasure. Just a little bit of enjoyment today. She lost everything for the sake of a pound. But the way this works in God is the other way around. If we're prepared to lose that pound, that's when we gain everything. What would you do with your last pound? If you were down to one pound, what would you do with it? Tell you what I would do with it? I would not spend it. I would invest it in the best bank I knew to give me the best return on that. It's that round plastic bucket that comes around here on a Sunday morning. I know, because God actually challenged me on this and spoke to me about this about three years ago. He said, Clive, what would you do? Would you buy a bar of chocolate or a lottery ticket? He said, you wouldn't, Clive. You would put it in the offering, wouldn't you? Yes, Lord, of course. I, I like it when God gives me the answer because it means I get it right for once. So, yes, Lord, I put it in the offering, but I would. What better thing can you do with your last pound? It's got to grow in there. It's got to return to you. It's got to make a difference. I've seen people do this over the years, and I have never seen them lose out. But I have seen God return over and over again. The, the simplest, the least investment is what Jesus is talking about here in the power of the talents. God can return that to you. The widow that put two small copper coins in was seen by Jesus and now she's a public testimony for the last 2,000 years in every country in the world. When you go to heaven, you're going to meet her. He said, that was you. But you didn't tell us your name. Well, I didn't want to boast about it, you know, but it, but it was me. That's what investment does for us. That's the way this kingdom works. That's the way our lives work. And Paul could say, the things I used to look towards, the things I used to think were investment, I've now found out they are uh, uh, losers. Things like getting on and getting ahead in this world. Things like a top-class education and a career advancement and promotion and prestige and being looked up to and thought well of and being in with the best crowd of people like Paul was. He talks about it in the verses that precede our scripture there. At once, Paul thought all these things were investments in life. Things that would bring him gain. But now, in fact, he sees they're all losers. And that word there has been translated garbage. Some people translate it as dirt in their Bibles. It's actually the heap that you fertilize the garden with. You understand what I'm talking about here in polite language. Paul says, I count all of that stuff as the most offensive, foul-smelling stuff I don't need anymore. It's the most worthless stuff, and I thought it was the most important. But I found something better than all of that. 
I thought that would bring me gain. It's just brought me loss. I thought that would make me happy. It's just made me miserable. I thought that would bring me freedom. And I'm just all bound up. I was all uptight when Stephen was stoned. I thought I was doing God a favor. I thought that was God's way. That isn't God's way at all. Hallelujah. Either they're trying to get out or come in. Either way, God's at work. Now, Paul said he's found other things. Other things that he never in his life imagined he would get involved with. And he said, to my great shock and surprise, those things have brought me investment and gain. Those things have actually brought me happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. I never thought I could find pleasure and incredible peace in life in those things, but I found them. There are so many things about in our world today which claim to make us happy. And they find inside of us a fallen nature which wants to believe it. And when the two meet up together, that is death to us. And yet it seems so good for a little while. It seemed like that to the prodigal while he was in the pubs. Yet a little while later, he lost everything. And the Bible says no one was giving him anything. There's stuff in our lives right now that should be on that heap of stuff over there, the garbage heap. And there are things we've yet to really give ourselves to that are the most incredible investments in life. I watched, it, it's like this. I'll just go on to another scripture and then we'll look at that in a second. Paul found that to gain Christ was the greatest investment of all. Now and in the future, for all eternity, you cannot have a better investment than Christ himself. At the same time, in order to gain Christ, you have to lose yourself. You have to lose, Paul had to lose his own survival mentality. He had to lose his own desperate urge to get certain things. And he tells us that in Romans 7, he was plagued with covetousness. He wanted more. He had it all but he still wanted more. That's what covetousness does to us. And it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that's inside of us. All the rest you can see outside. And from Commandments 1 to 9, everybody thought Paul was a great guy and doing it right. But Commandment number 10, which is purely internal, nobody could see inside his heart. But he knew he was powerless to deal with this pressure to get what this world has to offer that actually still is only a losing outcome. This is what Jesus says about it. What's a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? There's that profit and loss account in the words of Jesus. Jesus says it's possible to get everything that everybody else has got around you and they've ever wanted, and you can still lose the most important thing that you've got, your life, remember? But listen to him, and he'll help you keep it for you, if that's what you want to do. It's possible to keep our lives to ourselves and spend our lives on what we think is going to be a benefit to us. And yet, we can get further down the line and end up like Mickey Mantle and realize we've missed life altogether. Paul says this about his future investment. Put the next screen up. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You'll notice a couple of things about this. Paul doesn't say, I know what I've believed. There's so much argument, even in church circles, about what people believe. Paul doesn't believe a what, he believes a who. This is a person. He knows who he has believed. It's about living your life with Christ to steer you and guide you and show you and give to you and then help you to give away some more. And he says, he is able to keep what I've committed to him safe against that day. There is a day coming which Paul calls here that 
today. And one of the great changes in our generation is this. People have stopped thinking future. But I want to encourage you for the next three or four minutes, think future. Think about the future that you have. Think about where your life is going. And think about the future this world has. doesn't look too great in many parts, does it? Look what the West has tried to do in Afghanistan, in Iraq. Where's the future there? Look at what's trying to happen in the Middle East right now. Where's the future there? These are the biggest and best, most intelligent, most resourceful minds on the planet. And just like our bankers, we are still heading for a crash in this and many other situations. Two guys I knew were in the same stage in life. One decided to give his all to Jesus Christ. The other gave part of his life to Jesus. The one who gave part of his life to Jesus was a good guy, a well-meaning guy. But he decided he would get engaged and then move in with his girlfriend and sleep with her before marriage, which the Bible is clear is wrong. For two years, he kept knocking on my door for counsel and help. And nothing anybody could say to him did any good. He was more and more miserable. He scraped his way through his degree. And he was sunken, if you, you understand that word. He lived it his way. He invested in foolish things now instead of waiting to invest the way God said he should wait. And he lost out right across the board. There was no joy and peace in his life. No sense of purpose. No sense of reality with God, even though he believed in Christ. The other guy gave everything. Both were in promising professional career startup situations. He put his whole career on the line. But he ended up a missionary in Spain, in fact. He learned Spanish and he learned to speak Catalan as well, went to that part of Spain where they speak Catalan. He's still there now, preaching God's word. He never quite took up his rich career as a lawyer. But of the two men, I know which one I would rather be. He is rich. He is rich in investments. He is rich in life. He is rich in what really counts. And he has that joy and that peace. And instead of being sunk, and I met him a few years later, he was Outward going, overflowing, filled with joy, filled with peace. He found a nice wife. He got some of those things that the other guy did. But what a difference in the way he got it and where they both ended up. That's the difference between investment and losing. Now imagine this to conclude with. Imagine eternity is like the ocean. It just goes on as far as the eye can see and then some. Compared to eternity, our lives are like a single drop. Just see that on the screen. That's your life there compared to the screen before. You can flick between the two for us, Jews, so we get the idea. That's eternity with God and that's you and me. But everything we do in that drop determines what happens there. Because what you do here will determine your future in this life and in the next one. And that one doesn't stop after 70 or 80 years. It goes on and on with no end. There'll never be an end to that life. And what we invest in here is going to be repaid there. Now, some people think they can get away with a kind of a, 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 an uncommitted, half-hearted life here. And then they'll quickly repent on their deathbed and hope that they'll do a bit better in the next one. The Bible says this, as the tree falls, so shall it lie. And I believe that's speaking of our state of death. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know if you'll get that chance. And if you do get that chance, well, God bless you. But you'll end up there really cheated. 
And if you don't get that chance, well then, even worse. Because you're even more cheated. The opportunity is here and now. While we're speaking about these things, to do something about this. To make a difference. To say, listen, however I got to today, it's not important how you got here. What's important is how you go out. It's not important what you're like in this next moment. It's important what you're like in the next three minutes. Because the next three minutes can change everything for us. You can abandon all to Jesus. You can take your money out of all those wasteful banks that are doing nothing with them but losing you money. You can gather them all up in your arms. You can take them down the road to say, here is the best bank there's ever been, the bank of Jesus Christ. I know whom I have believed. And I'm not going to leave any money in those other banks. I'm not putting 50% in here and leaving 50% in my career or 10% in my leisure time activities or 10% in that relationship of there. I'm gathering it all. Do you notice what Jesus says to those servants at the end of it? He says, enter into the joy of your master. When you put all your talents to work, there is a joy in Jesus that is beyond television and films, beyond nights out and clubs and bars. There is a joy in him that's beyond the joy of any relationship a person can give you. There is a sense of wholeness and cleanness and peace. And I'll tell you one other thing, purpose. I met this guy from the army once, several guys from the army. This guy in particular, he was what they would call a Rupert in the army. If you're an officer from the army, I'm sorry for using a slightly derogatory term. I say, old chap, you know, frightfully good show. And do you know what? He was clear and crisp about what he wanted to do in life. Because the army gave him purpose. He didn't worry about whether people liked what he said or not. He wasn't bothered about what people spoke to him. He strode up in that uniform. You, my man, move that over there. You get there. Right, we're leaving in five minutes. Everybody ready? Come on, let's go. He knew where he was going, and he knew how to take other people with him. And when we give our all to Jesus, with that joy, a purpose comes into our lives that wasn't there before, and we know where we are going, and then we're trying to take everybody else with us too. And we're not worried so much about offending people. We don't want to deliberately do that, but we're not worried about... Ooh, are they going to like me or not? I say, hey, I'm going somewhere. Do you want to come with me? Because the other destination is not a place where you want to go. Promise me. Promise you. What are you going to do with that one little drop that's your life? Are you going to drop it into the ocean of Jesus? Or are you going to drop it into the ocean of hell and lose your life and everything in that ocean and never get it back again? That's the challenge before us today. What kind of investment am I going to make? Let's just close our eyes in prayer, shall we? And I just want to ask you very simply, if you know, let's say you've split your talents, you've got some in the ground and some at work, or you know it's all in the ground, you know you've got some money in other banks, Speaking in that picture. You know, some's invested in Jesus. Or none's invested in Jesus. But not all. I only want to ask for one kind of person to stand up today. Anybody who wants to invest all in Jesus. Because I do. And I'm standing here. You heard earlier the invitation was come. If anybody wants to come this morning, get out the boat. If there are 11 skeptical people back behind, well, leave them there. They can miss out. Please could you pray a simple prayer after me if you're standing. Lord Jesus, I give you my all to invest in you and in your kingdom. Jesus Christ, take all of my life today. Now, I willingly hand it to you. It's yours for your purposes and for your joy. 
thank you, Jesus, for the joy you will give me. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to invest my life in you. Amen. Lord, I pray now by the precious blood. Father, I pray now by the precious blood of Jesus that you will touch the life of every person here, that they are under the blood of Jesus, that each person standing is saying willingly, Lord, today I commit my all to you. Lord, that's only possible because Jesus committed his all at the cross. And Lord, because he gave his all at the cross, we can give our all today back to you. And Lord, we do. We do. We give it back to you now, Lord, that you could make of it an investment, a worthy investment in the kingdom of God, a safe investment for all eternity. For we know whom we have believed, and we're persuaded that he is able to take that which I've committed and hold it safe and against his breast and against his bosom until that day when he takes us home, either through the rapture or through death. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now come and enter into my joy, the joy that I've always had ready for you. Your investment has been doubled and tripled and repaid over and over again. Come and share it with me for all eternity. Lord, we choose that destiny in you. Today, Lord, we offer our lives to you for an eternal investment where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in. A peace that no man can give and no man take away. That's what we give ourselves to to you in Jesus' name today. And Lord, we're yours for your bidding. Father, I pray now, anoint us by your Spirit to enable us to truly step over that line and into you in wholeheartedness. God, give us grace to walk in this today, we pray. Just speak your peace to every heart here now that stood before you. Peace in the name of Jesus. Joy in the name of Jesus. Love in the name of Jesus. Hope in the name of Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus. Goodness in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.